Happy Jacks RPG Podcast, a roundtable discussion that's a mix of friendship, humor, unbridled enthusiasm, and tabletop RPG topics sent in from around the world. Just for Hello! Hello! <laughs> and welcome to the Happy Jacks RPG Podcast, Season 33, Episode 8. My name is Kimmy. Hello, I'm Alex. I am Puta. And in today's episode, our topic today is playing games with messages of uh, like a political or societal commentary embedded in them. On today's emails, first one, a new GM wants advice on how to handle X card moments. And Steffi from Scotland says the rule of cool is bad. Hmm. So if you'd like to contribute a question or topic to the show, you can email us at happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. That's happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. Thank you all of you who listened to my little talk last time and sent in some emails. We really appreciate it. Announcements. OrcCon 2024 is coming up February 16th through 19th at the LAX Hilton. We're going to be doing a live show Saturday night. I'm going to be running a game, even though Jim is mad at me, because again, I've missed the deadline. And so I'll be emailing him and begging him to add my games to the schedule. And he's like, wow, I'm so shocked at that. That was literally his reply. And I was like, there is no cell for those burns, Jim. And he's like, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> but anyway, you can come, you can watch our live show. It gets a little drinky sometimes, play games with us, play, play games for us, run games for us, all the things. We usually have some games on the schedule. We also do a lot of games on demand downstairs with homes. And yeah, it's so much fun. We have a great time. Also, game days, our next game days is on the schedule. It will be March 2nd. It's a Saturday. So if you're on the Discord, that's happyjacks.org slash Discord. This last one, that was in January. We had, I think, 11 games happen on that Saturday, back and forth. It was just amazing. Such a great, like, collection of games, too. We had, like, Mage and Vampire, and then also some, like, wild story games, and then one person's like, let's design a game together. And it was just, like, this amazing, like, spectrum of fantastic different types of games. So our community rock. You should go join it. It's very good. It's very good. Very good. So many, so many games. It's so cool. Um, Our Indie Designer of the Month. It is still January. For a few more days. <laughs> so it feels Ooh. like, yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a vibe right there. Mm-hmm. So, but we still love, we love Chris. So Christopher Gray is still our Indie Designer of the Month for January, aka Sundered Hold Scriptorium. You could find their game, his games at sunderedhold.com. And this week we're talking about 10 Workers United. Ten Workers United is a tabletop role-playing game that explores the power of solidarity for equitable livelihood. I can talk, it's fine. (laughs) This game requires four to six players, one of whom plays the role of the company and the others who play the role of the workers. The company will create the details of the work, its environment, and its purpose in being. The workers will define their unique skill and what drives them to a breaking point. The game is played over 10 scenes that are uniquely framed. During the scenes, workers will move to have a seat at the table and, when successful, earn more power. But at the end of the game, the workers have organized all the negotiation power they need, and the game ends when they present their grievances. So, and that you can get for $4.99 at Drive-Thru RPG. We love it, Yin Yin. We do. Oh, yeah. We 
We stand unions here at Happy Jacks RPG. All right. Speaking of which, that leads us right into our topic this week. Let's go. Do you enjoy playing games with a political or societal message embedded in them? I mean, I find this amusing because that's I, as we come into our second half of Mekong. Right. <laughs> yes. Yes. So what it. is Mekong for those of you who may not know? Okay. Mekong on uh, Queen's Court Games is a Beam Saber actual play set in a brand new Southeast Asian-based setting created by Jerry Law, who also jams the game. And it is a, you know, beautiful space mech opera, mech space opera. There we go. And at the core of the game is a lot of, like, political, societal, like, change and messages and inertia and what we are trying to do to both save and change the worlds that we live in. Mm -hmm. And how, like, how difficult that is, how much personal cost you pay to Mm -hmm. do that. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. And I really enjoyed it. I like a game that, like, has that mix of, not gravitas, but, like, some weight to it. Mm -hmm. And still has room for the humor and the fun and the... The moments of brevity. Yeah, and romance. Whatever. Yeah. And romance. <laughs> Always the romance. Romance. Yes. <laughs> also be political. Um, the romance it is also political. Yes. yes. Absolutely. And I'll say that many games that I play, I mean, I kind of believe inherently that play is still political and play reflects, you know, the society we live in and all of that. But I also really enjoy playing games with a political message. There are times when I find myself stepping back and using games as a form of escapism. Mm-hmm. But I think that even most of the time, even games that are more heavy on like political and social tones or addressing a part of society that is fraught tend to be a source of catharsis for me because mm-hmm. I love being able to sit down and really examine my feelings about something through the lens of play. It takes off some of the pressure or it allows me to like sit in it and, and brew over mm-hmm. how I feel about something. Especially as a queer person, I often find that I learn more about myself and people that I I'm with when I'm playing games that are about oppressive regimes mm-hmm. or about uh, identity and self-discovery mm-hmm. in a hostile area, network, system, all of that. So Avery Alder has a lot of games that yeah. are very reflective of those themes, and I highly recommend their work. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Really good. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, you were talking about escapism, and I think for a long time people thought like games and movies and things like that, just because you're not noticing the message doesn't mean that there's not a message there. And this, is, I think, is really like obvious in like comic book stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when like people are like, yeah, I mean, comics, like they've gotten so political. It's like punching Nazis on the cover. Yeah, literally like, <laughs> yep. like X-Men. Like, what did you think like their persecution was about? Like, what do you think that was? Like, yeah. So it's just kind of interesting how sometimes, it, like, like you said, like everything is political in some way, even if it's you just being who you are and living your life in some ways. And I don't think that there ever was a time when games weren't necessarily political. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and there's a lot to be said for like the form of escapism. I feel like sometimes or a lot of times that TTRPGs take, especially if you're playing in fantasy settings, mm-hmm. that you are overthrowing oppressive regimes. Yes. Mm-hmm. That you have the power as a table to create lasting and 
like change that is impactful to the the masses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that form of escapism and like fantasy, like wish fulfillment can be so nourishing mm-hmm. in especially like as we live in a time when it can feel like our voice has less and less power. Yeah. And like, especially in the United States, um, <laughs> obviously we are speaking from a Western yeah. American perspective, but yeah, it can like, there's something really awesome about just being like, yes, in this game, we are going to punch a bunch of Nazis yes. or we are going to overthrow the fascist regime. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. when they say the bad thing, we can be like, that is the bad thing and people will believe you and you can change it. Yeah. <laughs> I've also seen an interesting, I, I wouldn't say trend because I uh, think it's probably been around for a long time in TTRPGs, but I've seen some pushback against games that people label as political that I wouldn't even consider like the most political on the spectrum of games. <laughs> yeah. Um, thinking of games like Coyote and Crow or mm-hmm. games that are centered around more of an identity being labeled as more political or being labeled as more divisive or not for everyone to play mm-hmm. when I don't even think it's just because it is decentering whiteness that yeah. it is called a political game or a, a game that is not for everyone yeah. versus games like Eat the Reich or mm-hmm. games that are more directly about like even like I Hunt, which is about gig workers yeah. and an economy that are like fighting that to survive and take, taking monster fighting missions and stuff like that. Which is like a very specific commentary yeah. on like capitalism and, mm-hmm. and all of that. I mean, cyberpunk is a genre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, although, you know, a lot of people are working to divorce it from some of its more like anti-Asian roots mm-hmm. and have done an amazing job with that. But like, the entire thing that it's like the corporations and the people and you are working in like this hyper-capitalistic society. Mm -hmm. That is a political thing. Mm -hmm. Like that's not, it's not outside of what the realm of people here experience. Mm -hmm. But to your point about Coyote and Crow and Mothership and, or Into the Mothership. Yeah. Wow, Mm -hmm. I can name. It's fine. Mm -hmm. I really can't. I really can't. Don't ask me to name. Yes. (laughs) That I think it's worth saying that like the, BIPOC experiences as a whole, especially those of Black and Indigenous people, are labeled political. Mm-hmm. Their existences are labeled political. Yeah. yeah. And we can't ignore that when we have conversations like this. Mm-hmm. That, that it doesn't matter what those <laughs> games are about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But people are going to come back and be like, well, why are you being so? Yeah. And it's like, existing? Mm-hmm. Why are you being so? existing. Yep. <laughs> well, and I think Coyote and Crow is a really interesting example because I think nobody nobody really said that until it made it really big. Mm-hmm. Like until suddenly it became something that like made a huge amount of money and got a lot of attention, then suddenly people were like, "Oh, this is like a little bit much." It's like if it was going to be like cuz originally it was like, I mean, of course, every person who makes a game dreams of it going big like that. Yeah. But that wasn't like the expectation of the people who made it. They wanted it to, but like like, they were also somewhat realistic of, like, hey, our, our game and all this. So, like, when it really did kind of go viral and become this massive thing, it was just interesting to see the people who were like, oh, this is so great. This I'm so proud of you for doing this. Then be like, well, it's a lot. Like, like the immediate switch of kind of, like, the commentary about the game once it hits a certain threshold is just, yeah, it's just interesting to observe. I mean, comparatively, and again, I don't know Cody and Crow as, mm-hmm. as much. I haven't played it. Mm-hmm comparatively on a spectrum of like most political, the least political game, in my opinion, 
there are indie games where you are out there literally like killing capitalists yeah. and overthrow, <laughs> like overthrowing regimes and all this stuff or you are tackling... Doing very, unions. <laughs> yeah, doing unions, like a very specific social yeah. issue. And like go explore the indie game uh, <laughs> world because there are so many of these amazing mm-hmm. games that really tackle and dive into like one element yeah. like that. So it's not even the most political game. There are so many yeah. like fantasy games or like open world TTRPGs, heroic narrative TTRPGs that just, I mean, you really can buy in yeah. or buy out as much as you would like to for if you're tackling identity issues or not. I will say as someone who has like worked a lot with like the kids on bikes systems, right? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't really consider those on the face a political game, but then you also are always playing in a small town mm-hmm. where you're playing uh, kids who are facing dangers and there's a lot to be said there about suburban versus urban living mm-hmm. and what does it mean to like play in those spaces so i don't know there's a lot of layers to what yeah. makes a game political yeah absolutely and i think there is like i don't like coyote and crow was written to like you're saying decenter white people but it wasn't it wasn't written to be like political like you were saying like it is a like an alt history. Like this is what would happen if like history had been different and colonizers hadn't, you know, the Americas. And which is a political comment, but it's not like some of these games that are specifically designed. Like it, it was it's like it's like us playing in like European, like us, me, playing in European <laughs> whites, like like European fantasy is kind of akin. It's like this is a another world where dragons and unicorns are real and I can have them as pets or whatever. So it's just a kind of a, a techno future, alt future. Yeah. And so, yeah, I don't know. I The system is really interesting. I haven't gotten a chance to play, unfortunately. The books are, love the art in the books. It's so nice. So good. Yeah. But I, I actually really enjoy games that, so I guess, Yes, that would be like a lot of people call that political. I personally really love picking out games that are specifically like, this is what we're saying. Play this game. I Hunt is like one of my, like, just like so awesome and nail on the head. And it's one of those great examples that kind of goes over a lot of people's heads sometimes. Like if you read the actual text of the whole book, it cannot go over your head. But a lot of people like pick up games. Like I'm really guilty of this, especially like PPTA games. I'm like, I could run PPTA and you're like, but, but, but where are the GM? Okay, I got this. And you're like, there's a lot of the book. I'm writing a book right now, so hopefully everyone will read that. But <laughs> <laughs> reading actually all the text in a game book, I don't know if everybody yeah. does. Oh, um, I don't I'm, know. That May's 20th anniversary book is so long, but they just said, <laughs> right. It's not happening. No, I, I love it, but no. Oh, no, yeah. So much. Um, I feel like I always pull it up as a great example, but Thirsty Sword Lesbians has mm-hmm. a passage right in the beginning that yeah. says, like, if you want to play Thirsty Sword Lesbians, you cannot be racist, yeah. uh, homophobic, transphobic, like, if you are those things or if you bring that to the table, you're not playing our game. Yeah. It's not for you. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, like, go and examine yourself and then come back and play Thirsty Sword Lesbians. And I'm like, even that, I mean, that is in many ways a political statement, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't necessarily even consider a Thirsty Sword Lesbians a game that is, like, tackling a political issue. It is inherently about queerness, obviously, mm-hmm. but you're not, like, fighting a social issue always you know there are a lot of different scenarios and ways you could mm-hmm. play that game so i do when it comes to enjoying playing into the political message there are times where i 
really want to. And there are times when I do not. And it has a lot to do with the context of what's happening in my life and yeah. in society. And the context of, of the game. Like, I don't think I have the energy in it, in myself, to, like, play a TTRPG about teachers struggling while everyone hates them. And, like, yeah. it's almost summer, but not quite yet. And, like, like, like at this point, like, that's just, like, too nail on the head. Like, you get what I'm saying. Yeah. I can't talk tonight. Dude, that's just too much of, like, like, hitting the nail on the head. Like, it's just exhausting. But stuff, like you were saying, Pooja, about what's things that might make me feel empowered about something that I care about and I do, but I don't do nine hours a day every day of the week. You know what I mean? I could never, like, I can't play games. Like, I think we, one time, I did a one shot with Clara Running mm-hmm. that was set in, like, a television, st- on the lot, <laughs> making a television show. Yeah. yeah. And I went as far away from what I do in my day-to-day mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. humanly possible within that setting. But, like, mm-hmm. I can't read books that are about, like, making TV or making movies and stuff yeah. like that in yeah. the modern day. And I could, I, I can't play a game. So that's setting. It's like 12 hours a day, five days a week is enough. Yeah. It's enough. Mm-hmm. I got it. It's yeah. good. But, but also because some of that stuff just hits really, really close to home mm-hmm. for people. Like, I can see where people wouldn't want to play games that have overt messaging or incorporate aspects of their daily life that they have to deal with all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's absolutely valid yeah yeah it can be very different in a system that isn't like centered on a political uh, ideology or message to then bring it in because you have a little bit more of that like i'm bringing in as much as i bring to the table yeah versus Mm -hmm. a game where the mechanics and narrative and all that stuff is built into setting or a story or an idea that is like about talking about that there are reasons why i would play bluebird's bride as we've been excitedly talking about but i might not run an ongoing campaign where i play that every week versus i'm really excited to bring in some like pro-union statements or or plot lines to my ongoing like fantasy ttrpg yeah 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 yeah. i have a game called well right now it's called virgins and vixens (laughs) it's going through like a revamp right now it's a, a game that's like a commentary on the tropes of women in folklore and mythology and fantasy, all this stuff. Fairy tales, that's the other word I was looking for. So basically, you start playing as a very two-dimensional character. Like, you don't have a lot of stuff you can do. You've got five descriptor words, and if whatever you want to do it doesn't match one of those words, then you basically roll with this advantage. And then as you go through, mm-hmm. you get to change those descriptors. I really love the mechanics of it. I'm redoing it just slightly, but I ran a session of it this last week for um, at uh, Geeky Tees in Burbank. And it was interesting because I had a table of mostly men who all bought in. They knew what it was. They were like, yeah. okay, let's give it a shot. And we talked about it afterwards. And they were like, yeah, I felt really uncomfortable at first because I felt like I was making fun. Like I couldn't play the character in a way that wasn't kind of making, I felt like making fun of women because like I kept having to be charming or I couldn't do anything that wasn't charming or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, that's the point. That's the and they're like, but then I went and I started getting like the things and I was able to change my words and I felt better. It's like, yeah, this idea is like these tropes aren't good, good representations. They might be beautiful or pretty or charming, but that's not a compliment if that's all they that exists because these aren't like, and they were like, oh, this is interesting. Okay. <laughs> they were like, it's interesting to see the hesitancy is like 
they sit down at the table knowing what the game's about. Like, it's like, they, you know, I'm very upfront about that. They bought in and they still were uncomfortable. They're like, I guess I, I try and sing at them. I, I'm really charming. <laughs> I try and climb the little wall. Oh, I fail. I can't climb a wall. <laughs> it's like really interesting to see them all play. And one of them plays like the witch trope. And like, they were just like mean all the time. And they knew a whole bunch of stuff, but nobody liked them anyway. And then they kind of grew. It was just very interesting. The, the discomfort, even when people are playing a game that they buy in on that has a political message or a societal message in that case. And yeah, just in, like playing out of their normal type. So it's interesting. I, would, I hope maybe they learned something. It was interesting. I learned a couple of the mechanics I have to fix a little bit. <laughs> yeah. It was fun. As someone who works in TTRPGs full-time yeah. at this point, I find myself like I'm, I'm thinking about game design. I'm thinking about how you teach people games. I'm thinking about publishing and financial stuff behind making TTRPGs and all of that. And I have a lot of that fatigue that you were talking about where to take my, my all of my hobbies and also all of my professional life thinking about games, I have to step away. Yeah. Um, and it's very difficult to do that because I also have so much love and I like all of my friends, I love celebrating and playing games with them. Yeah. So I actually find that Political games for me are a really great way to marry a lot of the like social issues that I'm not, which isn't to say that I don't like think about them in my identity life, but that oh, yeah. don't might not come up as often if I were working in something like politics, if I mm-hmm. was spending more of my time volunteering, right? Mm-hmm. As I would love to do. So I think that games that are political are a great meeting point for people who might not have as much experience talking about social issues or people who are not facing as much oppression in their their day-to-day life uh, playing a game that makes them uncomfortable or puts them in a scenario where they are experiencing oppression can be helpful which isn't to say like that you should put racism in your (laughs) uh, video game because you know you think it'll educate people Um, that is not no what i'm saying Uh, but that there, there is a, a place where play becomes a spot for empathy yeah. to grow and build. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a big part of it. And that's, I mean, that's something that we see when kids play games like this. Yeah. Is they suddenly get empathy for the big bad. And like, I was running a, a kid's game ages ago, Hero Kids. And like, I just thought like, they, they, these kids were running this little thing. And there was like, a, I don't even remember what it was. A little gremlin or something. I don't remember what ended up being like the thing. And he was like stealing the candy from the town or whatever it was. It was like very little kids. So yeah. it was like very, and they like went and they decided to like talk to him and tell him now that wasn't okay yeah. and give him hugs. And like the system like didn't have any stuff for them. But I'm like sitting there and their parents are all sitting there too because it was running out at a con. Yeah. And so it was like, and we were all just like, oh, it's, it's great. Keep going. And we were all just, yeah, it was amazing. And all of it, it was just like the cutest, amazing. And they did, they were dead. They were so serious about it too. We're going to go give him a hug. And I think if we share some of the candy with him, that'll make it so he doesn't steal the candy from now on. And you're just like, you're the future. You and everything. Love it so much. Yeah. It reminds so, me of that. Like, yeah. Uh, Came out of the woods scene where the classroom <laughs> of children is like, the power of friendship has defeated the evil. It's like, yes, it has. 
Yes, it has children. Yes. <laughs> Evil has been defeated. Yeah. But I mean, it builds, you know, it really is an active thing when they get to participate and make choices like that. Like it builds empathy and adults are the same way. I mm-hmm. think empathetic people are drawn to TTRPGs, but I think it also like teaches them new types of empathy and people who are in it for like, who maybe haven't had a lot of experience, like needing to be empathetic towards other people. Like it can... It's like working out muscles. Like, you get better at it as you yeah. try it. <laughs> All right. Good. Yeah. Wrap it up. Okay. Very nice. Very nice. That's well done. Mailbag number one. I'm not reading it. <laughs> I'm going to read it. I will, I will go off. Okay. Hello, all. I am a new listener, and I've really appreciated all the advice, humor, and the wholesome and welcoming culture your group has cultivated. Thank you. Welcome. I am a novice GM, been playing for about five years and GMing for 1.5 years, and I was wondering if you could give me some insight on X card safety tools. While I know this may sound really basic, I don't understand how check-in safety tools like the X cards are supposed to work without hitting the brakes on the game and potentially requiring the session to end early. Session zero safety tools should allow the game to avoid any troubles and bots. However, sometimes things slip through. As someone who plays RPGs as an activity, as opposed to an opportunity to hang out, how do you refresh the game vibe if an X card is used at a pivotal plot point? I really want to understand these things, so most of my RPG learning days were among family and church friends. We didn't really use or even know about safety tools. I do want to get better, but I'm struggling to figure out how to gracefully handle a surprising X card if something comes up that wasn't foreseen in session zero. An example might be beneficial here. I was recently a player in a City of Mistmore game. The finale of the mystery was unfolding, and it turns out there were some pretty violent and intense domestic abuse involved. Mm -hmm. I'm personally sensitive to these types of things, and I didn't expect the story to take a left turn like this. However, this wasn't something that I would X-card because it was the linchpin to the entire mystery we've been playing for multiple sessions. The bad guy who'd done it and the mystery motivations were centered around this more sensitive situation. But that got me thinking, what would happen if a player X-carded a sensitive climax in one of my games when I was jamming? How would I handle that? Some things can be reflavored on the fly, i.g. palette swapping a monster spider for a monster owl, but sometimes it may not work to modify major story beats in the moment if someone is not comfortable with where the story is going. So I guess my question is this. How do you handle an X-card being called when the situation is a core component to your story and the sensitive theme got missed in session zero? Best regards, a GM who wants to get better. This is an awesome question. Yeah, I love this letter. Thank you. Very good. Hey, new listeners. So... This literally happened to me this last week. Yeah? Yeah, at said Virgins and Vixens game. So my concept when I went in and I'm playing, you know, I, I, I knew one person at the table. I played with one of the other people at Strategicon because they're local. And then other people at the table were, you know, strangers. So I'm there and I, my concept for it was like, okay, it's going to be, they're all stories and they've been like skimmed by AI and have been taken by AI into like, yeah. The AI, which ended up being like, so I was like, oh, this is so cool. I love the story. So we did like quick um, lines and veils at the beginning before we started just on a little card. Nobody wrote anything about AI or anything like that. So at first it was like a mystery. They all just like showed up in this weird place and like all the different things from like stories all over were were there. And like it was a mix of future and sci-fi and fantasy and like all the the Brady's were there and very like a little bit of all the weirdness of a talking gopher who had like gotten some like cybernetic cool things installed while he was there because he's like well I came with the princess and then you know he's like and then this guy walked by and he had I wanted one of these too and now I can see things it's like very weird and fun 
So we get like like a quarter of the way to the adventure and one of the characters like is like, okay, and they make the role to like they're about to figure it out. Then so the the player like rolls and I'm like, oh, you get this like, you know, this chat GTP. What is that? That must be what it is. And then you just see the player go, oh, and just like, like their shoulders fall, their head falls. Really? It's AI. It's like, oh, he's like, yeah, I guess. Okay. I deal with this all day at work. It's the same thing we were just talking about. And I was like, I, I didn't know him. or So I had yeah. no way of knowing. I was like, oh, okay, well, if you don't want to play it at all, if you really don't want to deal with it, we can X card it and we'll, we'll figure it out. And he's like, yeah, I think I want to. So yeah, like, yeah, which is great and awesome. And I was also panicking. <laughs> it's tough as a GM. Yeah. You're just like, okay. Like, but it's not fair to like have him not enjoy his whole time. And even, and that was sort of like a safe example too. It's like, he's burned down at it. He's burned down on it from work. So he wouldn't have enjoyed it, but it's not something that would have like really caused him like emotional distress in a way, like what, what you're describing mm-hmm. a new GM or AGM who wants to get better. So yeah, I mean, personally, I was like, okay, bathroom break. Everyone, <laughs> just like, I'll be back in a couple of minutes. And everyone's just like, oh yeah, yeah, bathroom break. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like, Look, yeah. Stu has had a long and storied tradition. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A pivotal bathroom break. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Oh, I get that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So that was like, and then like, I thought about what I'd, you know, you just come up with something or you skip it or I don't know. That's what I did. <laughs> I mean, I agree. It's like, there have been times, especially my response to this is kind of in two parts. Yeah. I feel like when you talk about campaigns, sometimes GMs, like if they have a thing that they think this, the mystery is going to be based on, it's going to be a linchpin, they will exclude it from the lines and veils in your session zero. And I wholeheartedly disagree with that. Oh, yeah. I find that that is a terrible thing to do. We will not ruin your mystery if you check in with people ahead of time, or if you don't know in the session zero to bring it up and it's just something that comes to you later as a GM, mm-hmm. bring it up, bring it up. Just be like, hey, by the way, I'm thinking that there might be some domestic abuse elements in it later, to, to use mm-hmm. your example. How does everybody feel about that? Mm-hmm. But more, sp- like, it doesn't ruin anything. Yeah. To use an example from Pinnacles this last session. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We had an intense story moment and Jason hit pause on the game and we all checked in to just make sure we were okay with what was about to happen. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Okay. Great. And then we just went back into it. Yeah. X cards can work the same way. If you say like, okay, yeah, I know we didn't talk about this or my lines and veils have changed since our session yeah. zero. Yeah. I've it's had whatever. I've had like a an an event in my own life or I have realized that I am being triggered by something that I didn't actually realize was a trigger before yeah. or whatever it is. Pause. The game pauses. It it happens. Mm-hmm. And when you, when it is a pivotal moment like that, it is not the end of the world to say like, okay, I need to go in a different direction and in order to give the best experience to you, we're going to end the session here and we're going to pick it back up next time and it's going to be super awesome and also not hurt anyone here. Yeah. That's not a bad thing. That's great. No. Yeah, exactly. And we have done that. That's happened in my experience as a player mm-hmm. where we were doing a recording session mm-hmm. that an element came up and one of the players had such an adverse reaction and she like 
you know, she tried to tough it out for like mm-hmm. 10, 15 minutes. And then eventually was like, look, I can't do this. Yeah. And, and we just cut the recording. Mm-hmm. We came back and it's like, cool, here is what I am changing about this that negates like what we did last time. So we are starting fresh from X point. Yeah. Um, so you can back it up that way too. And that's a way to regain that momentum mm-hmm. that you lose when you stop the game. Mm-hmm. But it is a, a thing that you say like, oh, okay, I don't understand how check-in safety tools like the X cards are supposed to work without hitting the brakes on the game mm-hmm. and re- potentially requiring the session to end early. So the thing about X cards is that is their function is to put the brakes on the game. Mm-hmm. It's to stop mm-hmm. anyone at your table from being harmed by what you're doing. Yeah. So that is, by nature, a pause button. It's a stop button. It's to say, like, we need to make different choices here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So rather than try to avoid that, you just embrace it. You lean into it. You say, like, okay, what is it that I need to change as a GM? Mm-hmm. And then if you need more time, you need more time. Yeah. Like, Yeah. I will say I understand how an X card can be very difficult if you are doing something like a recording session or where time becomes of the essence. You're at a convention game. Like, this is the one experience you're going to have together. Mm-hmm. It can be very difficult to take 30 minutes. I also can think of a lot of examples when it comes to even paid GMing because mm-hmm. I've worked as a paid GM or I've like, organized other GMs for paid opportunities <laughs> where an X card coming in can be very difficult because you don't have like the extra maybe even 30 minutes to go and step away and say, I'm going to work through this or I'm going to figure this out or we're not going to finish through the rest of the session because this was intense enough. We want to take some time to decompress. Mm-hmm. It's really difficult when you're under a professional employment opportunity to do something like yeah. that, even a paid actual play, Yeah, right? Depending on scale, it can be very difficult to say, to feel like you can step in and do an X card, um, even like a live show, right? Mm-hmm. That is a very difficult moment to have to X card, but the more it happens, I think the more it becomes normalized. It's something that we like have struggled with and gotten much better with i think here yeah like when we first started using them like everyone was afraid to use them and we made the mistake we used to have like a playboard in the middle because we were playing games that had needed maps and we had a camera facing down and we had the x card like visible yeah and it was like we were just learning how to do it like when with when adding them to the ap's and stuff we suddenly realized that nobody was tapping it because the audience could see the x card and we were like oh we should have thought of that yeah and then there there have been people where like They've come back from a session saying, I just didn't want to mess up the story because we were streaming. It's like, no, like we've worked out thing. Now we have a whole flashy color light system that like, so that, that the audience doesn't see just in case. We have life alert buttons yeah, now. Yeah, it's amazing. So exactly what it is. And they're pretty rainbow flashy. But because it, like the easier you make it, the more you normalize it, mm-hmm. like the easier it is. And the and like the, a lot of games now, like the queen was one of the first ones that i saw like include the x card with the game i love that yeah mm-hmm. and it so actually good. has mechanical purpose mm-hmm. like you can like just skip a a question or get to the next card or whatever so it's not just about stop the game i don't i want to get off whatever yeah. it, it can be a whole bunch of levels of things mm-hmm. alice's missing comes with a really pretty x card that yeah. you get as, like, part of the card system and so i just stack them up yeah, yeah, I love that stuff. Oh, that makes me so happy. Mm-hmm. Like those kinds of things that that really integrate safety tools. And I know that so lines of mails and X cards are, I feel like in my current gaming experience, the ones that are used more, the safety tools that are used most often. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I think doesn't get necessarily enough hype 
is the idea of check-ins. Like, so mm-hmm. if before you hit a massive like thing or like right at the beginning of it, you check in with your players to say like, are you cool with this? Are you cool with this? Are you cool with this? Mm-hmm. Like, and those those types of safety tools or pause, fast forward, rewind yeah. is another one that's great, great one. because you can say like, I can't go into graphic data. Like, we are getting too deep into this. Can we just fast forward? Mm-hmm. Is also another way to incorporate a safety tool that doesn't completely stop the train. Yeah. You can say, like, we're just going to take this detour around this section of whatever and <laughs> yeah. go on, continue yeah. to go on the tracks. Yeah. Especially I don't know enough this. about trains to have good metaphors. <laughs> Especially for this city of mist games, it's mentioned the finale of the mystery this like last left turn, this was a linchpin. This was a, a big pivotal moment. I can understand how you might want to like continue to explore that even though with a sensitive issue. I think a fast forward or a skim over or a like taking some time to have our conversation about these specific details are more difficult to me. I'm mm-hmm. going to be okay with it for this session, but it would have been like I would have loved to have known about it in advance. I might be a little more quiet or I might not chime in as much for the end of the mystery if this is here. But if you tell me that the bad guys are not using like this kind of weapon or this kind of language, even like mm-hmm. having that conversation can be really helpful. So an X card can be a moment where that stop becomes a we're talking to each other, we're learning about each other, we're figuring it out together. That's a great thing. I love what you were saying, Pooja, about how it's not going to ruin a mystery to say something up front. Yeah. There was a big moment in my ongoing streamed campaign where I made a really big mistake as a GM and I learned a lot. It was my first ever streamed actual play, mm-hmm. right? Where I had a changeling character and no one else knew that they were a changeling. And there had been NPCs in the game that I was playing as NPCs that were actually the changeling character. Uh, and I didn't discuss that with the players up front. I had no idea that that might be an issue. And yeah. then they like paused the game for a while, talked about it and decided to change it to that NPC had actually been an NPC the whole time mm-hmm. and that was it. And then the other changing characters, like faces, would be played just by the player. Okay. Yeah. And that kind of like really needing to to stop and and talk it through and talking about like agency and what does it mean to have an NPC character versus a, a PC character. You might have different rules mm-hmm. even for an NPC, like, oh, we're okay with flirting with an NPC, but if we're going to do a PC romance, I want to check in with the player beforehand. I want to figure out all that stuff with them and talk about it off screen. So that's where an X card can be really difficult, right? Like that game ended up paused for a month, maybe. Mm -hmm. And that's a big decision to make if you are saying like, you're not playing, hang out with people, like this is an activity for you or, or a hobby, or maybe it means something different. Those pivotal plot points, that was the whole character arc that was changing like that big reveal yeah. changed it, it didn't it wasn't the same thing as it was going to be it was yeah. gonna be like i'm talking as the npc and then like it becomes a player talking and there's this huge moment that we planned but if we had discussed it up front that might have been an audience buy-in mm-hmm. instead of a player buy-in that yeah. we might have been able to do it very differently mm-hmm. so talking up front about the big theme of your game even if it's a if it's a mystery is really helpful and essential. And it might help you tell a story in a much better way. If you think of things like foreshadowing in books or movies, Mm -hmm. if you tell the players up front that you're going to theme around something, kind of allows them to like weed in those things earlier, like lean into those themes. And it's not accidental, it's on purpose. 
I also feel like in terms of a TTRPG, when you, we have, like, we talk a lot about table knowledge versus character knowledge yeah. or player knowledge versus character knowledge. Yeah. That gluing your players into something like that that can be potentially mm-hmm. like a minefield, it also gives them the opportunity to figure out how their character would react yeah. without having to also figure out how they as players are reacting. Mm-hmm. And that separation can lead to like avoiding some really harmful bleed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like when when I I know when I as a person am am trying to like process something and then also trying to figure out how my character is processing something. Mm-hmm. And then like the the number of times where it just becomes one emotion. And that's not it's not always bad. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's a really great thing when yeah. you're delighted. Mm-hmm. You want to feel delighted, but mm-hmm. like when it's something that could be potentially traumatic or it's something that's traumatic for your character, but not necessarily for you, but it becomes traumatic for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like having that advanced warning is, I am a big proponent of it. Yeah. yeah. I think a, a good lines and veils document, like people joke, like we have the official happy jacks one that everyone uses. Like it's very thorough. <laughs> and people are like, there's so many things, but okay. But part of it's because of that, because you never know when, AI might be the thing that is going to like make someone upset and not enjoy the story. Mm-hmm. So like having someone and I see both as someone who GMs a lot, I see both sides. Like I see the excitement of the reveal of this cool moments, but also like as a player, I've been there and been like, okay, I don't like this at all. Yeah. What do I do? So I think good lines and veils documents kind of steers, help steer the ship as you were saying, and it can also give you great ideas. You were saying like, yeah, yeah like my one ring campaign that I ran a, a while back, like I had never considered putting ghosts in it. They're ghosts in Middle Earth, It's not, but it's not something I would have immediately have like put my story around. But on our Lines and Veils document, ghosts are one of the things. And we have like grades of like, I don't want this at all in the story. I don't want this to involve my character. And then all the way to like interested, I would like this in the story. Yeah. Oh, I love adding wishes to a lines and veils document. Yeah. That great thing to include. Yeah. And surprisingly, nobody, Samantha was like, ghosts, interested. And nobody <laughs> else was like, yeah, everyone was like, okay, sure. And so I was like, oh, okay. And it like got me thinking about like, oh, the the ghosts of the old Numenorians and all these things. I was like, okay. And then like it ended up being this huge, interesting storyline. And one of the best char- like NPCs they met was this ghost who that like, they t- she taught them this song that then like reverberated through the rest of the campaign. Oh, so cool. It was so cool. And it was all because Samantha was like, check, yes, interested in ghosts. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> so it can really, it's it protects people, but it can really inspire people too. So I think looking at tools in a way of not just fences that keep you in, but also that like, like direct you in very interesting directions. I don't know, like a Disneyland line or something. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. And a, a big question here is how, as a GM, do you handle when that next card is called and you have to change a big thing? Like, it's not just mm-hmm. a reflavoring. Being upfront with your players is really helpful. I'm sure, Kimmy, that in that moment with the VNB game, you were like, oh, I'm, I'm scrambling, I'm taking a break, right? It's okay to yeah. say to your players, this has taken me off guard. Mm-hmm. Um, if you give me a little extra time, it's going to take me that moment to like figure out what I'm going to do communication with your players is is very helpful and i have found at times that it's difficult for me as gm when i'm really excited for something to rework it mm. but it's also been an amazing challenge where i've learned the most yeah where i've like taken the campaign on a new on a new pathway where i've changed something big and then been really excited about it mm-hmm. so 
letting go of something you are very passionate about Mm -hmm. will teach you so much as a game master. There are times when I'm like really excited for a railroad campaign or I'm like, this one shot needs to hit these three beats and then it's done. But when you're running a longer story, being adaptable and changing a big element will teach you so, 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 so much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think when someone hits the X card, the first thing like I usually do is like, okay, you know, you ask them, not, not like, like, it's not like shine a light in their face. Why are you hitting the X? Like you want to be gentle and thoughtful and be like, oh, okay. If they don't say anything, can you, you can like prompt, like what exactly are you Xing in this scene? And that, and that you don't have to, don't ask them why. That's, That's a big one. Yeah. Don't mm, be like, yeah. I'm sorry. Why does domestic abuse upset you so much? <laughs> Can you tell us like why? <laughs> Lean uh, back on the couch. Make yourself comfortable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> tell us all your secrets. No, the big um, thing I tell players is you don't yeah. have to explain why you're exiting. Never, something. ever, mm-hmm. ever ask why. But ask specifically what they are exiting because it might be one small thing in a scene. It could be that you can just leave out and continue it without stopping this. So it might, it, it might be just a pause in that situation. They're like, oh, you know, I, I really don't like rats. Please don't have there be any rats in this warehouse. And you're like, oh, okay. There are no rats in this warehouse. And then like, continue, no problem. If it is something like like the domestic abuse, then they'll be like, oh, okay, the domestic abuse. Then I immediately am like, okay, let's take a 10 minute break. And you go and you talk to that player like off to the side somewhere. And you're just like, hey, you know, I don't need to know all the details, but specifically what, you know, like, Figure out where they are with their discomfort. Are they okay with it being like an un like something that happens off screen, like a fade to black thing? Can you like, oh, we know there is a domestic abuse happening, but we don't directly see it or interact with that. Are you comfortable with figure out where they are? If they don't want it in the story at all, then that's another place, and that's totally fine. Don't pressure them into trying to keep a little of it in the story for you. That's not cool. Yeah. But just find out like where they are because they might be okay or even interested in, in having stories where you are like saving domestic abuse victims they, as long as, but they just don't want to see it and have it be something their character experiences firsthand, first person. So there's a lot of gradient and variation there. So, but doing that privately off to the side is generally a good thing and calling a break or hey, this is a great opportunity for us to order dinner or whatever it is. Like, it's easy to come up with things like that. When here's another big one. If someone X cards something that you as a GM were really passionate about, don't get mad at them. I feel like that's, I mean, kind of oh, obvious advice. Yeah. But your reaction can be very difficult to kind of temper your frustration or your sadness or disappointment. disappointment. Yeah. Right. And it's very natural. The panic. The panic. panic, Right. (laughs) To to have those reactions. It's okay. But it is a very vulnerable thing as a player to expart something and to to say that you have a boundary. And I always, I try really hard as a game master to like reward someone for Mm -hmm. exparting, saying like, thank you so much. You've made the game better by telling me about this. You're helping me shape the story in a really good way. I'm excited for you to have a, a good time at this game. And by telling me what you don't want, you're making me excited to like support what you do want. So that like positive reinforcement has been really great for me as a player too. When I've struggled to talk about something that's difficult for me in a game, having a jam be like, thank you so much for sharing. Like yeah. you've, you've made the game better is is really nice to hear. Yeah, it's a huge sign of trust. Yeah. Like it is vulnerable. And the fact like 
so many people, even if there's an X card on the table, will never use it, even if they are incredibly uncomfortable and not enjoying themselves at all. Because they don't, especially the gaming community tends to be introverts, a lot of us. And they're just like, I would rather like eat my hand than touch the X card right now. And and (laughs) that's a very strange example. (laughs) On a weird mood tonight. Sorry. Sorry, everybody. But no matter how uncomfortable they are, so the fact that someone is brave enough to do that shows a, a level of trust in you as the GM, that you're going to be respectful of it and understanding and at least try and solve the problem. It's a big risk that they're doing. And I do want to point, like, another point in this letter I wanted to hit yeah. was that, so in the example that you talk about, uh, a GM who wants to get better, <laughs> the you said this wasn't something you would X card because of where it was in the story. And I want to encourage you to think about that differently as a player. So as well as a GM, as a player, when something is making you like really uncomfortable, that's what the X card is there for. Yeah. And and it can be like really, really hard to use it. You're like, oh, you feel the weight of that in the moment. But safety tools can only keep us safe if we use them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that goes for GMs and players. Don't force yourself as a person to be uncomfortable or in a bad situation for the sake of this game. Mm -hmm. Because the game is not worth harm to you as a person Mm -hmm. or any of us. Mm -hmm. It's not worth the risk of like some of these things that we talk about. We get letters about like how relationships have been like broken (laughs) by what happens on a game. And there's like all that kinds of like tensions and spillover and and bleed and things like that like the safety tools are there to prevent all of that (laughs) please use them Mm -hmm. like yeah as a gm it can feel kind of like oh oh shit but also in my case like i feel a relief Mm -hmm. i agree it's like in addition to like maybe momentary panic this person stopped me from stepping in a big pile of poop. Yeah. <laughs> I would hate to hear later if I like put something in a campaign and the player hadn't told me that it sucked for them. And then like months later they went, yeah, I actually hated that game because this thing was in it. Like, that, that would be really bad for both of us. So yeah. as a GM, I like think about it this way. Would you rather have players who are telling you when they're having a bad time or would you rather them be silent and then like holding that inside? Yeah. I, would, I would rather know. I had that happen with Two friends whose names I will not mention. They were, we were all in a campaign and one of them was GMing and it was a great campaign. Thought it was great. Like two years after that campaign at a party, hanging out, the other person was like, yeah, I hated that campaign so much because of X, Y, Z. And I was like, really? And he was like, yeah, yeah. I hated every minute of it. I just, I was upset and angry every time I left. And I was like, so tough. Yeah. It's like, why didn't you say something? Like we could have pivoted or changed or like pause like and the gm whose name i will not mention like would have totally done that and it was and he was like no i just didn't want to cause a problem so he literally like played a full campaign of this game like miserable and angry all the time and just never said anything to us and and i don't know to this day i don't know if the gm knows but because i wasn't at that point two years later going to be like oh my gosh guess what yeah (laughs) that kind of stuff would haunt me for the rest of my life that's what i didn't tell them yeah it's really you are a better player in my opinion when you use safety tools you're a better gm when you use them and also you are 
you're building relationships, you're building strong foundations when you use them and encourage them. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be an X card if it doesn't work for you, Pooja. I gave the excellent example of like play, pause, rewind. That's an amazing safety tool that has yeah. a little more flexibility if that's when you need at your table, but you are becoming someone who is safer to be around and making great communication uh, pathways. Yeah. There's also a couple that I really like. Consent flower was kind of what it was called when it was first created. It's a little bit difficult for people who have problems seeing color, mm-hmm. but there's one that there's a, I guess, cards, whatever it is. It's like a green, a yellow, and a red. And as you go, like it's a check-in system basically is what it is. Like if you're okay with things, like everyone just taps green, like at the top of a scene or when something happens, like the GM kind of just like, okay, how are we doing? And like everyone touches. And then like yellow's like slow down. It's kind of like a stoplight, like slow, not speed up and go faster. How the stoplights are supposed to work, not how they actually yeah, work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> how they actually work. I'm talking to myself. But uh, <laughs> yellow means like slow down, be careful. And then like red is basically the X card. Like I don't want this to happen. So that's also an interesting tool for people who, that ha- that it's like more speeds than just the stop start yeah. of, of the X card. Oh, I love the idea of like a color gradient scale. Yeah. And where you could like kind of slide up and down. Yeah, so it's like you can kind of just visually immediately as a GMC, like, oh, someone's tapping yellow. It doesn't mean stop. It just means I need to be a little more careful. Maybe I need to take a glance down at my lens and veils. Am I getting close to someone that I've forgotten? Yeah. Or is this something new? James V has an excellent point. If you are using like a color system where you were talking about like physical cards that are Mm -hmm. colors and things, combine them with a shape. Mm -hmm. And that supports people who are varying shades of colorblind or or otherwise like have trouble seeing colors Mm -hmm. and then also like you can write the like a corresponding word on them Mm -hmm. not the color word but like a what that color corresponds to and that helps people who are new to the system you're not memorizing like a whole series of of Mm -hmm. what things mean it's like a like okay the yellow hump (laughs) is slow down mm-hmm. and you write slow down on it yeah yeah, yeah. go slow down stop like yeah mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be like yeah so there's a couple of variations on safety tools that do that which i think are also great and a little bit helpful if your group is like new to the idea of safety tools because it's a little bit a little bit more intuitive like asking someone to slow down is a lot easier than asking them to stop completely so i don't know yeah. try try stuff i mean honestly safety tools are kind of like trying on pants and like okay these are the ones that fit Nope, nope, these ones are not. These ones are too short, even though they say they're the same size because I buy women's clothing. And, oh, these ones are way too big, even though it says they're the same size. Okay, I'll try some other ones. So try the ones and find the ones that fit for you. And buying one pair of pants does not mean you have a whole wardrobe. Like, just because you have, just because you're using lines and veils, it doesn't mean your game's going to be perfect. Yeah, Mm -hmm. so me having, like, Seven pairs of the same jeans in slightly different colors is not a wardrobe. <laughs> no, that, I mean, okay. that counts. Okay. Well, that's yeah. only a wardrobe for the bottom half. So, like, this is true. No. This is true. Yes. I have sweatshirts for the top. Shirt half. is communication, <laughs> and then hat is like sending a game reminder. And <laughs> okay. all that. that was really not like a metaphor. Like, I'm just saying, like, seven pairs of the same jeans. They're really comfortable and they look good on me. Come on. Well, look, you, the you, black you are and the dark winning. blue. Like, the you light like. blue. You're winning on the bottom half. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> I love that you tried to like turn it into a metaphor that Alex <laughs> I'm so met my entire brain is just always metaphor based at every moment. Mine is like, what was that idiom? Here, try this instead. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much 
a GM who wants to get better. And thank you for being a new listener. We appreciate you. Thank you for writing in, even though you're a new listener. That's very brave. Talking about how it's brave to hit an X card. It's also brave to write an email. It's when brave you're... to write us an email. Yeah, we love it. You are a hero. And you're, you're also our hero. hero. You're our hero. Yes. All right. Mailbag number two. Okay. <laughs> we should probably split this one up because Steffi wrote it. <laughs> I oh mean, God. there is a built-in pause <laughs> at the end of page one. Yeah. So I feel like that's a good time. I appreciate that she does that for us. Me too. Intermission. Yo, cool cats. Radical skaters and Queen Jock Kimmy of the Nerd Den. Ooh. It is I, Steffi from Scotland. I'm not going to subject anyone to like my attempt at a Scottish accent. <laughs> I am answering the call for emails with some thoughts on rule of cool. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's only right to combine some of my most popular traits from past emails, <laughs> hot takes, built-in pauses for hosts to discuss, mm-hmm. and dating my email, deeply embarrassing Stu for not getting around to it sooner. <laughs> that last part's just, wow, like going straight for the jugular. Mm-hmm. The rule of cool, as I understand it, is when the GM overlooks rules to allow a player to do a cool thing. I get this. If you have a new player at the table who doesn't understand the rules and your focus is giving them a good time. or If it's a one-shot, or the campaign is coming to a close, or if this problem player is getting kicked once the session is over, but now you're you're (laughs) going with it, or if a player is leaving a game and you are giving their character a scripted cool exit. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm sure there are other situations. Yeah, I'm sure. But an example keeps coming up, usually with the dragon game, but it's spreading, of the GM not even stating their monsters and just deciding after a set number of rounds, it's done now. It makes my blood boil. Or maybe it's two HP left, but that's close enough. Mm -hmm. If a player finds it cool to kill the baddie in a game, like the dragon game, this is an achievement based on building a character with a good combination of mechanics, tactical gameplay, and hopefully working together with the rest of the party to complete the common goal to make the GM's big number hit zero before any of theirs did. In their mind, it being round three or then describing swinging their sword a little bit cooler than normal isn't a factor. It's like if you are running a race, but unknown to you, your friend moved the finish line nearby when you're in the lead. If you found out, wouldn't that tarnish your win? Wouldn't that cast doubt on all the previous wins? Does it make all the diet and exercise feel stupid because you'll win anyway? Will that make you reconsider running as a hobby? How would you feel that they thought if you not found out made this okay? I think that's supposed to say, if you didn't find out, it made it okay. Okay. If that's not what they find cool about killing the monsters, find another system that better plays into it. I recommend Ironsworn. The descriptions and intent matter to moves. The game is set up to also be a GM-less or solo game, so you don't need to prep and can even play if you wanted to up. I'm assuming by yourself is supposed to be in there. Goals are achievable in several ways. A failed goal only adds more story. No one needs to take damage if they don't want to. Mechanics can work with cool if you have the right system. Built-in pause. For discussion, yes. I half agree. I feel, I don't know. I always go first, so maybe one of you should go first. I just spent all that time talking. Okay. (laughs) I, I have complicated opinions on this, which is I really like your examples of where the rule of cool might be applying, but I also 
I've seen players really resonate with it and I've seen players really struggle with it, Mm -hmm. depending on different scenarios. I know people who know mechanics better, care about mechanics more, and then get really frustrated when something gets rule of cooled, like kind of not in their favor, Mm -hmm. or they have an ability in the game that they like is specifically attributed to their character and someone else just can do it because they describe describe it cool and then like kind of takes away from the thing they specialized in. Mm -hmm. I can understand how that's really frustrating. But then I also really understand the, I'm not a mechanics-focused GM, or I just want my players to have a a fun time, or I'm really excited by something. So like that that gradient of where it is nicer, or it's not as fruitful, makes a lot of sense to me. In general, I support the rule of cool, but I really like that idea of, moving the finish line Mm -hmm. because I think when you are as a GM considering using it, the idea of saying, well, what am I allowing a player to do? How does that affect what everyone else can do? Mm -hmm. How does that affect what the game says? Like what the point of the game is, I guess, if you think about the idea of a game, if you start saying that players can just break someone's armor all the time and then it ruins the efficiency of your monsters and that might not be something you really want to set into stone. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I I tend to do rule of cool when it's small things that just add great flavor to yeah. the campaign. Like if someone's like, okay, I'm going to use this building thing and I'm obviously not in like a fantasy game, but like I've been running a lot of sci-fi, but like I'm going to try and like build a robot and then they like, and I want it to be like this and not that it does anything special, but it like, I want it to look this certain cool way. And it's like the rule doesn't say that you can do that, but it's like, well, this is obviously like, it's not breaking the rule. It's frosting the rule a little bit with like pretty frosting and sprinkles, but it's not breaking it. So it's more like bending rules than breaking them. And I think that if it adds flavor in that way, then that's great. It's hard doing rule of cool, then letting someone completely break rules. It's like at that point, you're just doing improv games. Like why have a TTRPG system at that point? Mm Especially the problem with that is GMs are not perfect and we tend to have biases at the table for the person who's really into our story that we're working on a little bit more. And there's just really no way to keep that super equitable unless you're like keeping the chart. I did one rule of cool for this player. Okay, I'm going to do one rule of cool for this player. Because like you said, it's like it tends to be the more theatrical thespian type players who end up getting a lot of rule of cool because they're into it and they're describing things and they're coming up. You know, the one who's got like the wittiest idea. And it's like, that's not fair to the player who doesn't have those things. I think that's the biggest thing that I find in games where it can feel bad for other people at the table. Mm-hmm. That it's like, okay, well, how big are these rule of cool things that you are doing mm-hmm. is the biggest thing. Yeah. Because if it is like one character who always has just a, who has a better skill at describing things in the moment is constantly getting to skirt things. But then when another player tries to do it, they didn't describe it well enough, so it doesn't get a roll of gold. And it's yeah. like, ooh, well, feels bad, mm-hmm. man. But if it's like small moments, or if, I mean, Stevie listed out some great examples yeah. here. Yeah, so good. Of times when it is like <laughs> the perfect time to implement like huge rule of cool, coup de gras, deus ex machina situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But just how often are you doing it? Mm-hmm. And who are you doing it for? I find the set number of rounds thing a little more like 
how much fun are your players really having with your combat and figure it out from there. Yeah. yeah. Here's, uh, you two have, have generated a thought together okay. in my brain, which <laughs> has kind of put a nail, given me words for something I've thought about for a while, which is, I think Rule of Cool is another tool in the GM's toolbox. Mm-hmm. And especially it applies when the mechanics of a game are struggling. Yeah. The game isn't well designed or it isn't achieving what you want it to achieve. I love how you offered Ironsworn as a really good example if you like Rule of Cool, because I think Rule of Cool allows, it's like applying flexibility to a rule that you struggle with. Mm-hmm. So if you struggle with like how combats are working, and like if you're finishing out a monster feels bad, feels like a slog, or if a player really wants to be able to run on a wall, but there's no ability in the game to do it. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, it's stupid. I'm going to expand the rules of the game to allow it because I think it's cool. Mm-hmm. Then it is your tool to like customize your car, customize yeah. the game in the way that you want to customize it. And that is where it's really helpful and really useful. Mm-hmm. Dragon Game is a great example because I think Rule of Cool comes up so much because it's very specific about certain things and not specific about other things. So you as GM making those rulings is where you are filling in the gaps of the mechanics or fixing them to support your needs. Yeah. It becomes less relevant or it becomes more difficult when the very, the flaw in the mechanic is also affecting how the table's playing or how the players are having a fun time. If you're constantly ruling of cooling things because a player really wants to be able to do something, but like it isn't in their class ability, mm-hmm. right? Then you're seeing more of a flaw in the game itself. Or in how they built their character. Or in how they built their character Mm -hmm. than in like you as a GM. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're going to homebrew something, homebrew it officially. Don't just keep rule of cooling it. Like, okay, you want your character to do this. Let's either sit down and rebuild your character so it does that. Or let's make this so it applies evenly to everybody. This is going to be how we do this in our game. And I mean, that's why there's a million homebrew rules of the dragon game. Because... Everybody does that. And I mean, you have 100% permission to pull a JSON and completely rewrite whatever system yes. you yeah <laughs> you want like halfway through your third session. With buy-in from your players. Yeah, with buy-in from your players, obviously. But like, like nobody's stopping you from changing the rules so that they apply equitably. And so whatever system you're using like does what you want it to do. But making it official is just, it's just very helpful mm-hmm. than just going, oh yeah, that sounds cool. Let's just do that. Okay, that sounds amazing. Let's just do that. It's like, okay, how many times until that gets annoying? Speaking of Jason, Demigods actually has that kind of built in with your ascendance moves. Like you, it's like a mechanic in the game. You can check a box, you get three for the campaign. And like you have this moment where you just tap into your divine power and do each playbook has like the thing they do. And it's just like for a very short period of time, you are a total badass that just fucking like does anything you want. They're a little more specific than that, but like you, you basically get kind of narrative control and you get to do this thing, which is really neat. You get that rule of cool, but you have to kind of ration it and it's total player choice. And it's like, okay, I have two of these and on the third one, I become a god and I have to leave the game. Okay. Or roll up a new character. So it's neat. There are games that have mechanics for that out there that again, keep it equitable. It's not just like, how the GM feels that day. Are they in a good mood or in the bad mood? Did you buy them two beers? And so they're going to be like really happy with you. <laughs> you know, that's like, nope, you get two. There are two checkboxes on your sheet. Ready, go. Maybe that's your homebrew rule. Like you put, okay, we're all going to draw two 
boxes at the top of our character sheets. You get two rule of cools for our campaign. That's it. And once you use them, that's it. You can use them at any point and tell, you know, tell us what happens, like whatever it is. But at least then again, it gets back to that, that equity thing. And then if everybody gets them, like if you use your, if I'm the ranger and you're the paladin, I don't know. I don't play dragon king very much. And you're like, oh, I'm going to pull out my, I'm going to grab the the ranger's bow and like shoot. It's like, I can be annoyed at that, but I'm like, okay, this one rule of cool. Like you get one more in the whole campaign. I've still got both of mine. Yeah. Just wait. I think of it like jailbreaking. If you, yeah. if you decide to jailbreak and like uh, a phone, right? Or if you decide to customize a car, you are accepting the risk of the fact oh. that you might have broken something, but also you might be able to do cooler stuff with it. So when you rule of cool something, especially like this example in chat, um, if you want to like swing on the chandelier and catch the falling PC as a reaction, if you say this is now something you can do, you might end up breaking a mechanic of the game that was there for balance. <laughs> but if you're rule of cooling something that wasn't balanced to fix it, you might end up making it work better. I love that you were like, jailbreak. And I was like immediately like, oh yeah, like you have to get through the bars <laughs> and all this stuff. And you're like, your phone. I was like, yeah. oh yeah. I was like, oh, I have flashbacks. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> like oh, I don't yes. do it as much anymore just because of the time requirement mm-hmm. on like yeah. keeping up with it. But like, man, that used to be my jam. Yeah. <laughs> uh, nerd. <laughs> yeah. Or seducing the dragon. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's the thing too. It's like, decide whether you want your rule of cool to be something that is like, this is a very specific situation. Saving the shit, like using a reaction to save another PC proves falling from the chandelier. Does it lead to an amazing like character moment later? Are they about to kiss? Like, love that. Don't always, it doesn't always have to be about kissing, but like, it just, it just often is. <laughs> like, is this a, a great character moment that you're facilitating, or is this just like a, oh yeah, that idea sounds cool. So let me, like, why are you using it as a reaction instead of an action? Because it's kind of a big thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it would be a whole process to do. So, so like, what is the reasoning behind it? Mm-hmm. And and figure it out from there. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, maybe, like, I'm, I'm so in game writer mode today. I'm sorry. I've spent so much of my day doing that. I'm just like, okay, so maybe it's like a group move where you get a rule of cool if everyone buys in. Like, like, I don't know. You, yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I literally was writing a move called teamwork today. That was like, that's kind of based on that. And it's just like, oh yeah. And then like, if everyone puts their hand in and like, it's like ready. Okay. Rule of cool. Everybody gets the rule of cool. It like if everyone at the table is cool with it. I don't know. Yeah. It seems like it and could be the thing. table is a great way to put it because mm-hmm. the rule of cool tends to be a GM based thing saying like, okay, I'm going to allow this, especially if it overwrites another mechanic Which on the GM advice side. Make sure if you are ruling of cooling something for one person that you consider how it's going to apply to the other players. Can yeah. everyone do it now? Was it just this one moment? And then also saying like up front, I'm going to allow this here because I think it's really cinematic, but it doesn't mean that you can always yeah. jump off a chandelier as a reaction. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, to bring up Jason again and also Pentacles again. <laughs> We've been waiting for a year. Like, what do you want from me? Yeah. Oh my God, really? That's so... It's, we're coming up. Yeah. In a couple of months, yeah. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. I was like, wait, what? Time passes so fast. It does. It's, it's so weird. But we had this major pivotal moment, no spoilers, mm-hmm. but like there was basically like a, between the bad guy and one of our players, there was like a squish off. 
<laughs> to who could get the widest and how much willpower you had and who was going to burn base will and all this stuff. Like, technically, neither of them should have, been, should have been able to squish that much because you technically in the game can't squish hard dice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> technically. Like, that's a yeah. thing. Yeah. But for that moment, mm-hmm. it was just so cool and it was fun and it was this whole thing. And also, like, we didn't quite realize that that was the situation that was happening. Like, <laughs> both of us. Like, yeah. all of us. Yeah. yeah. But it was a really cool moment. And mm-hmm. Jason said, like, okay. Like, after it was done and he had a time to reflect and, like, realize what we had, like, they yeah. had done with it, he was like, that was really awesome. So we're letting this stand. Mm-hmm. But going forward, yeah, we're not squishing our dice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and it was amazing. Like, it was a huge thing and we were all having a lot of fun with it. And, like, mm-hmm. okay, yeah. Yeah. Like, for those of you who don't speak wild talents, like, hard die are the die. They're always at their maximum. And which means as a superpower game, it's great to have things at your maximum until it's not, until suddenly you're way overpowered for a moment. It's like, okay, like Superman suddenly accidentally getting cold and sneezing really hard and like, oh, oh, that's a, oh no. So depending on what you're doing, it can be fantastic or really, really destructive. Mm -hmm. So, and there, I can think of campaigns and games myself where something that got rule of cool really stuck in my mind Mm -hmm. that it was something I really wanted to do and that it meant a lot to me and that it did lead to that like cinematic oh my god I'm so excited that went so well I can't believe I got to do that so a a range again a tool in your toolbox Mm -hmm. it doesn't always apply if you're the kind of person where you really struggle with it or your players don't like it talk about it up front in session zero but there are also a lot of moments when it might make or break something you really want to have. Mm-hmm. I get that too. All right. That's great. That was a two really great emails this week. Very exciting. Yeah. I mean, we that always have not emails. even half of the email that Steffi sent in. Oh, oh yeah, right. We're sorry. We're at the pause. Sorry. <laughs> Built in pause. Please. All right. I guess it's my turn to hunt. We've, okay. We cycled back around to me. Okay. <laughs> After pause, the other page that I completely forgot existed. TV tropes define rule of cool. The limit of the willing suspension of disbelief for a given element is directly proportional to its awesomeness. This implies that awesomeness is a unit of measurement. I mean, in some TTRPGs, it is. There are games with meta currency that you can get for doing something cool and can spend to improve your chance of doing something else cool later. In the Dragon Game, Inspiration, and Hero Point, Savage Worlds has bennies, and Star Trek Adventure, Adventures Momentum. This takes the onus for deciding when the rule of cool is used by the GM and the player. I feel like we might have already covered this with mechanics, but oh well. And and do the players do? In my experience, the same thing they do with every consumable. They hoard it. <laughs> I have a story about this, okay. Even in the best system ever, masks the generation. <laughs> where <laughs> only, only until Starscape's comes. Uh, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> I mean, there's a currency that you can hoard there too, so where there is a god mode move designed to use the rule of cool in any way that furthers your character arc, people hoard and rarely use it. Yes, moment of truths in, in masks, which were the inspiration for Ascendance moves in Demigods and Stellar moves, which will be in Star <laughs> Does that mean the players want to earn those moments or don't want them at all, rather failing? This is, before this inbuilt pause, do you hear that? Did you hear they're making a third Baldur's Gate game? I hope it doesn't have an easy to con- and convenient way to save scum over embracing the mechanic that tabletop has struggled to figure out. 
I have to confess, I do <laughs> I do save scum in Baldur's Gate 3. I save scum in Baldur's Gate 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a time-honored tradition. Yeah. yeah, I appreciate the shade, though. I, I like it. I'm here for this. Like, you would never get a long rest on this. Like, literally. Yeah. The odds were so bad on being able to sleep through the damn night. <laughs> all right. And now, a surprise horror story. It is Halloween after all. The game was mad. Oh, it was Halloween. It's not Halloween. Okay, that's fine. The game was oh, that's the built-in uh, that's time, the built-in check. time check. Yes, yes, yeah, got it, got it, got it. <laughs> My brain is like, wait a minute, I haven't had enough sleep for this. I was happy t- Halloween. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. In January. Okay, this is a double blue moon because I was a player and a moment of truth was used. Everything was going down. All the villains we faced were resurfacing. It that it was a hoo hoo of people who wanted to punch us in the face. We finally reach the top floor of the skyscraper, ready to take on the boss fight, and the player uses their moment of truth to wrap up the situation solo, and the rest of the players are just bystanders. No input from the on the fight. No chance to talk. This wasn't a situation where this was the PC's villain either. The only one to have met him before was another character before we knew he was a villain. My character might have spoken to him on the phone once, this was a chance for answers, to hear a monologue. To me, this was not cool. PCs didn't seem cool. I, I locked the rest of the group. I locked the rest of the group out of input. Since then, I've been more conscious as a GM of opening up to out-of-character communication when moment of truths come, come up. It is a balance between respecting the rule of cool move and exper- the experience of the other players. Sometimes the PC gets excited to do the cool thing and they get blinkers on. This is my biggest reasonable point against rule of cool. What about the rule of compassion instead? Compassion. And my final pause. Okay. Yeah. I've had this. I've had the exact same thing happen in masks. (laughs) I mean, it is. It's like one of those things like the ascendance moves and demigods can have the same pitfall that somebody just KOs ever like one hit shot. Mm -hmm. It's like a TPK except for all the villains. Yeah. And honestly, I feel like there's a way to balance that as a GM. Mm-hmm. We're like, oh, okay, tell me how you defeat this, but it is not a like final defeat. Mm-hmm. Yes. Where you still end up with the cool, but you haven't locked every single person of the in the table out of playing the game. Yeah. And, and yeah, it is something to be aware of as a player. That when you get these moments of rule of cool that aren't always as extensive, like most of the time aren't as extensive as an extension move mm-hmm. or as a as a moment of truth in masks, that this is your moment in the spotlight, but it is not your one act show yeah. or one person show. Mm-hmm. You are not doing a solo version of the Scottish play. <laughs> <laughs> and... <laughs> Here's, I don't want to, I'm not trying to be a devil's advocate, but here's, I think, where rule of cool is interesting compared to these resources because Mm -hmm. these are built in mechanically to say, like, this is your moment, you succeeded this. Mm -hmm. And if I were facing a moment of truth and I wanted to say, like, but my villain is actually immune to moment of truth, that would also feel bad. But if someone was like, can I pull this off? And I'm going to say, actually, I'm not going to rule you can do that. I think the mechanic stands that way for a reason and, and, and I like it and I agree with it. It is a little more flexible mm-hmm. for you versus this is a, I'm not going to say it's an entirely different issue because I really like 
moves that do this. And I do think it comes down to a PC being like clever or smart about mm-hmm. when they use them, but then they can have blinders on. You know, that's a whole conversation you might want to have with your players. Ruling of cooling something to me feels like an optional step up. Mm-hmm. If a mechanic is built in to allow you to step up in that way or to show off or shine, I think players do tend to hoard them because they're worried about if they should be showing off and shining. And so them asking you if it's okay can be a way you encourage them versus them worrying if it is okay because the mechanics say you just can't do it, but mm-hmm. they don't know if it's going to ruin the moment. Yeah, I think there's so many... Yeah, I mean, I would be super tempted to rule of coolness as a GM to like involve the other players. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which... Also, now I'm like, oh, that's sort of awful, too, because like this person used their moment of truth. So having everyone else have benefits of moment of truth without actually using that mechanic. But at the same time, like if this is it feels like this in this specific situation that it was a it was the pinnacle of the campaign or this over of the session. Mm -hmm. Like if it was a bunch of I don't know, game was mass, double moon. Player moment of truth was used. Yeah, it doesn't say. So Mm -hmm. if this is the, the pinnacle of a entire campaign yeah then yeah rule of cool that so everybody gets a chance to like go yeah Yeah, or do something or i might ask like the player haven't looked at the specific moments of truth on the playbook of masks for a long time so i can't like recite one of them off the top of my head but am i be like hey i love that you're using this i want to involve everyone so what what can we do to make this like our like magical girl team moments where like everyone's doing something to tie in and support your moment of truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so then, like, let's Voltron this. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. I so, love the rule yeah. of compassion thing because ruling of cooling, as we already said, considering how other players might feel about it, mm-hmm. is a great way to balance it a little better. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love. Yeah, I love. I love anything with compassion. That's very good. Yeah, yeah. Shall you I had, read off the final section? I think so. But there was one more thing. Oh, yes. that I thought of and I forgot at some point. Oh yeah, hoarding them. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, they do. <laughs> I've Just been, like yeah, mm-hmm. I have been struggling with this so much because one of the things I know I keep bringing up Starscape, but Starscape has in game currency of trust. You literally have to spend it to use some of the moves. Mm-hmm. And so you find people in play tests who are used to, like, well, no, I want to be, I want to have as much trust as possible. I'm like, the point of the game is to risk it and lose it and get it back, like the flow of trust, not just it having the trust yeah so it's like they they end up cutting themselves off from a bunch of like and pbta you roll usually plus a stat there's some moves that do that and a lot of them you have to wager trust mm-hmm. and you okay i'm putting three trust in so i'm going to roll 2d6 plus three and then you see like what the outcome is yeah. and if they don't do well then they lose the trust that they wagered or they get it back and maybe more and people literally like cut themselves off from like half the mechanics because they just want to have the trust all the top and mm-hmm. keep it all and you're like and I had a, a playtester do that in the feedback. He was like, yeah, I don't, I don't understand. Like, why would I do anything if I had to spend trust? And I, I want to have all the trust, right? Like, no, like you're interacting with other people. And whenever you interact with other people, you're risking, especially in these like space danger situations, you're like constantly risking their trust in you by saying, hey, I know what we have to do right now. Let's do this. If we recalibrate the blah, 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 yeah. then it'll save us. If it doesn't work then, they're going to lose trust in you. Even if they're not mad at you, even if you're not a bad person, the trust goes up and down. It fluctuates in any relationship. And he was just like, oh, and he, it was like that mind blown, like emoji yeah. thing. 
but like retraining players to think of these currencies as something to spend is really hard. <laughs> so mm-hmm. hard. I do think treating them like a very limited resource can be really helpful. So mm-hmm. saying like you can only have a max of three inspiration. Yeah. Or or three or seven trusts or whatever it mm-hmm. is. And then if they try to gain more, they don't get it. Yeah. That is something that I've seen encourage players to use the resource because then they're like, if I don't have an empty space to get more, mm-hmm. I won't get more. Yeah. So it's mm-hmm. like why why would I have to spend it in order to continue to like gain more. Yeah. 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 So anyway, that was my my commentary because it's been a bit like I really like that. Like that's what I like about trust as well in Starscape when we've done these play tests. It's like it's a you know there are times you're gonna be able to replenish it. Like it's not a the scarcity mm-hmm. yeah. that you think when going into it. It's like, oh, am I ever gonna be able to get any of this back? And mm-hmm. then it's like, oh no, wait. It's like you're you're trading like beads or or yeah. whatever mm-hmm. when you were a kid. Like yeah. you're just it's a constant back and forth. Yeah. So it it eases that pressure and that like hoarding desire, like mm-hmm. uh, instinct. Yeah. But yeah, people are going to want to hoard their big moments. Yeah. They're going to want to try to find the perfect time where their player is going to get them, like, or when their character is going to get the most out of it. And it is going to have the most effect. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that's mm-hmm. just human nature. That's yeah. Something I really like about a one shot or a three shot yeah. or whatever, because you do tend to see players use resources <laughs> more because they're like, oh, there's a limited time. Yep. I'm going to do it right now. One shot, going to drive this character like I stole it. I can yeah. do this. Yeah. <laughs> nope. One shots are that. So good. <laughs> All right. Continuing. All right. I will. Do you, you want to take I can take it. This the, here, I'll, come back. I'll take the, okay. the last final, paragraph. Final okay. pause. Uh, Wikipedia, a source that is as trustworthy as my previous source, defines the rule of cool, quote, noun, rule of cool, the principle that anything is acceptable to do, use, wear, etc., just as long as it is cool. I think this sums up my feelings on the rule of cool in a reverse way. There are many things accepted as cool, such as smoking, driving above the speed limit, and (laughs) weapons, which are dangerous. And there is a logic for rules against or restricting them whether we agree with them or not. There are things like playing loud music, saying whatever word is happening this week, or spreading rumors that overlook others' feelings. There are many like wearing sunglasses indoors that might seem cool to you, but are stupid and cringe to others. <laughs> that is the best ex- like examples. Very great example. Yes. <laughs> Just because my future is so bright. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Steffi from Scotland at Steffi on the Discord. P.S. Happy New Year. Hope 2017 treats you well. You're messing with my brain, Steffi. You're messing. <laughs> I literally, like, when I got to the, the the end of this email, I was like, oh, man, I, like, had to look back. And I was like, no, 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 wait, it's just, I haven't been running the podcast since 2017. Okay, this is right. This is fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. In summary, rule of cool as you, as you like mm-hmm. um, can be a useful tool or can be a stretch, make sure everyone feels good about it thing. Absolutely. You know, we can tie this back around to the safety tools discussion of the previous email and say, yeah. Uh, sometimes you just want to have a little check-in. You want to have like a, a green light situation mm-hmm. yeah. for your rule of cool. Sometimes it's not that deep. Yeah. I feel like we have made it, we have used all the most extreme examples yeah. because that's how it goes. But but also don't be afraid to rule of cool this, like, a, like yeah. to make your game just more interesting and more fun Yeah, on when it's, when the stakes are low. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I rule of cool a lot of stuff with food. Because it's silly. Like, yeah. people are like, I'm going to make, like, a 10-course meal to impress this diplomat. And it's like, I didn't put cooking in Starscape, so whatever. Okay, yeah, absolutely. So it's like, they make a big spread. Who yeah. cares? Like, 
mechanically that's not affecting anything. So it's like, if it's not going to affect things mechanically, if it's just like window dressing, rule the cool the shit yeah. out of that. Like, oh man, you, uh, you have, you now have platinum cloth that you are wearing to this gala. This is amazing. Like, Love it. and the, the clothes are a great example of rule of cool. Like, I feel like we have, like, the shopping episode whenever there's going to be, like, a fancy scene in one of our IPs and, like, everyone describes their outfit. Yeah, you could wear 10-inch heels. Anything you want. Like, whatever. Like, like, yeah, all of that stuff. If it's not affecting mechanics, let them go wild. Have so much fun. But I like what you said about how homebrew is another great tool. Like, if someone wants to Indiana Jones and, like, whip around a tree and, like, whip weapons out of someone's hand and you can't do that in whatever game you're doing, Mm -hmm. maybe that's when you turn to mechanics Mm -hmm. to allow it instead of saying, oh, sure, you can just always do that all the time. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. All right. Great. That was really good. (laughs) Both times I thought that it was at the end of that email. It was a really good email. Thank you. I think we've done it. Yeah, there's a signature at the end. So, Thank you, Stephanie. Steffi, we really appreciate your emails as always. And they are always thought-provoking. And we appreciate your built-in pauses for discussion. (laughs) All right. Well, this has been Season 33, Episode 8 of the Happy Jacks RPG Podcast. My name is Kimmy. My name has been Alex. I'm Pooja. Thank you for... (laughs) Please support our amazing Indie Designer of the Month, Christopher Gray at sunderedhold.com. Um, we have a new Indie Designer of the Month coming up next episode because it's February then. I can't believe it's February already. Okay. Thank you to our chat mod, James V, and to our amazing Patreons who keep us ad-free and independent. They are amazing, and thank you all. And you can join them at happyjacks.org slash Patreon. They let us, like, I don't know, do cool stuff, keep the mini fridge full, keep, keep the, the lights, lights on. on. Keep the lights on. Yeah, without me having to reach too far into my teacher paycheck, which I really appreciate. <laughs> yeah. and. Please remember that Strategic Con is coming up and our next game days on the Discord is March 2nd. So do all that. This week, we're going to leave you with a song called Drink Till I Die. It's by the Poxy Boggards and you can find them at poxyboggards.com. And yeah. All right. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. It's half past three and the chill is gone. It's the longest binge I've ever been on. And so many pints my mind's too provide. A curse to you lads, a curse on your heads Drinking pint after pint until I am dead I just keep drinking and I don't know why But tonight is the night that I drink till I die It's quarter to five and I'm still going strong Is this the only place I truly belong? To make it all end, I the good lord beseech Lying on the floor with my drink out of reach A curse to you lads, a curse on your head Drinking pint after pint until I am dead I just keep drinking and I don't know why But tonight is the night that I drink till I die To six in the morn, don't remember my name I see all the faces, they all look the same And the puke on the floor makes a terrible stink What is this demon that makes me want to drink? 
A curse to you lads, a curse on your head Drinking pint after pint until I am dead I just keep drinking and I don't know why But tonight is the night that I drink till I die Tis now nearly noon and the spinning has stopped There'll be no more drink to the floor I do drop And there's old Nick sitting there at Hell's Gate he smiles at me as he patiently waits. A curse to you lads, a curse on your head. Drinking pint after pint until I am dead. I just keep drinking and I don't know why. But tonight is the night that I drink till I die. A curse to you lads, a curse on your head. Drinking pint after pint until I am dead. I just keep drinking and I don't know why. But tonight is the night that I drink till I die. This show is a product of the Happy Jacks RPG Network. The Mary Seuss performed our intro music, and our ending song is played with the express permission of the artist. Visit happyjacks.org for more information and to find all our streams and podcasts. 